0: Is the first Sunday in Advent. Uh, and if, if you didn't pick up on it, if you didn't know, Advent uh, comes from a Latin word that refers to coming. That's why I was in that, repeated in that prayer. We're asking Lord Jesus to come. The season of Advent is, is not pre Christmas, it's not Christmas warm up, it's not Christmas tune up, it's not Christmas light. It is decidedly not Christmas. And you'll see that in the readings that, that we'll read, uh, not maybe the passages you would pick to read at Christmas time. That is correct, because it is not Christmas time. Uh, Christmas starts on December 25th um, and goes for, for 12 days after that. So instead of uh, ramping up and front loading the Christmas, the church uh, says Christmas starts on the day that it's on the calendar, and then you, then you get to feast for 12 days. I happen to like that model of of feasting for 12 days, and I'd invite you to join me in that. Um, This season is for something else. It is for staring deeply into the darkness that the light breaks. It is for looking the darkness of the world square in the eye and not avoiding it. I wanted to recommend this book to you and then read just a couple lines. Uh, It's called Advent, The Once and Future Coming of Jesus Christ by Fleming Rutledge. She is an Episcopal priest. She's done in active ministry, uh, but is still teaching and uh, speaking and writing. I came across her work because she wrote a book on the crucifixion that was a couple years ago, the Christianity Today Book of the Year. It was excellent. Um, and this book is a lot of just her sermons over the years. Um, and if you've never been to an Episcopal service, the, the sermons are quite short um, compared to here. Maybe you're like, maybe, yeah, thank you, Ryan. Fist pump that. Okay. <laughs> Judgment is coming for you, my friend. Um, and so what I've done personally, is, and there's some writings here, some short articles in the in the beginning section, but I, I've had this book for a few weeks now, and I, as I've read my own Bible reading, I, I would just read and pray through that, and then I would just pick up one of her sermons. They're like three or four pages long, and they're excellent. She's an excellent, excellent preacher. Um, and she really has a way of grasping hold of these themes of, of of this darkness of Advent that's met in the hope of Jesus. So I wanted to recommend that book to you, but then I I read this couple of lines this morning and thought I would pass it along. Advent teaches us to delay Christmas in order to experience it truly when it finally comes. Advent is designed to show that the meaning of Christmas is diminished to the vanishing point if we are not willing to take a fearless inventory of the darkness. That's what this season is about, a fearless inventory of the darkness. And uh, I know that's at odds with what our culture is trying to do, and my my counter is, yeah, that's the point. It's it's because it's exactly the opposite of what the culture wants to do in this season. It's why we need Advent. Um, So, there are things that we will do that are different than we normally do. You should notice that the, the colors on the table are, are, are different than they normally are. They're purple. That's the color associated with Advent. Obviously, something like this is not normally here. Um, we, uh, Jacqueline and Mark Oliver, made this uh, with some help from others, and it's amazing. Uh, you should have seen them putting it up. Um, I could not do something like that. And I really appreciate the gifts of God for the people of God in other people. Um, You should smell something. You smell that little difference. Uh, It's incense. We don't normally have that. Some people love that smell. If you're congested, there's a smell. Um, Some people love that smell, and some people hate it. And the point is not whether you love it or hate it. The point is to remind you that as much as that smell fills the space, the Spirit of God fills uh, His people and the places that they gather and indeed the whole world. So we're doing these different things in this season to move us down the road of doing this thing, taking a fearless inventory of the darkness. And this morning we will be in a couple passages uh, Jeremiah 33 and Luke 21 This is Jeremiah 33:14 through 16 Behold the days are coming declares the Lord when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. And then Luke 21, 25 through 36. There will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable, look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the seasons of the church, the ways that you form us together as a people through all time and places. God, we pray that we'd be attentive, that we would be on watch that we would be people who obey your word and your warning and take heed, and that we would turn to you and see you, our great, our great help and our great hope. Make yourself plain to us, Lord Jesus, and penetrate our stony hearts. We thank you. Amen. This section of the Gospels is, uh, if, you've, if you've read through the Gospels, you get to these sections of especially what we call the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Near the end of Jesus' life, when He starts talking like this, about this terrible thing that's going to happen. And some passages talk about wars and rumors of wars and cataclysmic natural disasters and blood on the moon and all this stuff. And And if you come to the Gospels and and you expect Jesus who is sort of cute and cuddly Jesus, who is above all things comforting Jesus, when you get to these portions of the Gospels, it it feels jarring and uncomfortable. And there's language in here that that even feels confusing too because Jesus mentions that uh, this generation won't pass away until this happens. And you can come to these passages and find them very disorienting. And oftentimes you're disoriented because you've come to the text, we've come to the text, we've come to Jesus expecting a certain kind of thing to happen. And then Jesus comes sideways and does something else. And First of all, you should take comfort because what you are experiencing with Jesus is the same thing that the people of Jesus' day experienced with Jesus. They very much expected one thing of this son of David and then Saw something else. And they didn't know what to do with him. And ultimately, they became so furious with not knowing what to do with him that they crucified him. Because they did not rightly see and understand him. And instead, thought it better to murder him. So, when you are disoriented by Jesus in the Gospels, first settle down, calm down, and know that you are in good company. And what you should also come to expect is that Jesus will continue to disorient you. Because the problem that we often have is that we are entirely overly oriented with the way the world is and the way we are, and we expect God to operate along that logic. And what Jesus presents himself as is a disjunction. He does not come and say, I am going to be just like you expect me and want me to be. He comes and says, this is how God is. And you should be disoriented. But here, Jesus starts speaking of the end of all things. And the language that he he describes this time of history, at various times, all of us throughout all of history could identify with what he's saying. This unrest, this dis-ease, With the way the world is, almost a a rising sense of panic that things are not right and something is at hand. Something has to be at hand if we are going to move forward at all. Something must break one way or the other because we cannot keep on going like this. And that itself is, is not easy to believe, it's not hard to believe, it's easy. You have to pay minimal attention to the world to come to that feeling. Our, our, our news is filled with violence. And it's not just the violence of evil people being put out. It is the violence done to those who are innocent. It is senseless violence. And although all violence to some degree is a step away from the way that God intended it to be, it's, it's violence we cannot even get our hands around. that just doesn't even make sense that we cannot even logic our way towards. Violence fills the news. Many of you, many of us experience within our own lives the experience of pervasive, inexplicable despair. Things that you, you don't even know why, but you cannot get out of bed in the morning some mornings. For some reason, you, you lay down or you sit quietly with your thoughts and your stomach churns with anxiety for no reason. Only to have a doctor to explain to you that your brain has gone haywire and chemicals are running through your body that are only supposed to be there when you're running through like a saber-toothed tiger or something. And the beast is chasing you for no reason. We just recently heard in the news that that the environment itself, the world itself, is in trouble, that nature itself is in peril because of the presence of people like us doing things like we do. It is not hard to find the news that something is not right. And this is why Advent is important. Because right now, the world is turning up the dial on a different message. That if you will buy the right things, if you will listen to the right music, if you will watch the correct stupid movie, You can live in this ethereal cotton candy glow. And for just a little bit, everything will be fine. And that is precisely the wrong message. And it is the opposite of what Christmas is all about. The message of Jesus' coming into the world is not some candy-coated soft glow Christmas movie it is a staring into the darkness of the world and saying surely God must judge this and this is actually much of the story of Israel Israel, if you read the prophets, as you accelerate through the prophets, through the, from the major prophets into the minor prophets, Israel starts looking forward to the day when God would fix all of this stuff because Israel's surrounded. Israel's falling apart. It divides in half, and the top half goes away. The, the second half is surrounded. Jerusalem falls. Israel is falling apart, and they are looking outward and saying, when is the day when God will come? When will be the day of the Lord? When He will take care of all these people, these enemies on every side, when will He stomp them down and make them right? And the prophets start telling them, the day of the Lord is coming. It is coming. The day of the Lord, it is at hand. And this is profoundly good news. See, this is where we have to be very clear about what we are talking about. We are talking about judgment. The world that we live in says this judgment is is maybe the chief sin of our age. It's a cardinal sin. You cannot judge. However, judgment in the Bible is good news. Because all that stuff that that, that tears at the inside of our souls, that kills people from the outside, that burns the world down, those are all things that should be judged. And so when we proclaim with the Scriptures that judgment is coming, we say it with relief. Just like Israel started looking forward in relief, judgment is coming. That's why Jesus says here in these words, now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Judgment is good news. Straighten up. Good news on the horizon. Horizon. Judgment is coming. But what the prophets will also tell you is, when God comes to judge, when the day of the Lord actually comes, He's coming to judge everyone. And He's coming to judge everything. And they say to Israel, take heed, because God will come and judge you. Now we don't like judgment. We're in on the other judgment. When, when the judge says, we'll judge the other people and the other things, the things that trouble us, we're okay with that. But when the gavel is aimed at us and judgment is coming, then we begin to become uncomfortable. And Jesus, He tells us to watch ourselves. This is not the moment where Jesus says, you know how the prophet said all that stuff. Guess what? I'm here to provide a new plan. Don't worry. God's not going to judge you. What he says instead is watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. Watch yourself. You are in some kind of danger, imminent, at hand, pervasive. And to that, to the words of the judge, we should also listen. Now, this time of the year, more than any other time, the cares of this life is what is being broadcast and blasted at you all the time. Care about this life more than any other moment. Live in the moment. Live for yourself and for your appetites. Feed yourself. And Jesus says, you better watch because the whole world will be judged when the Son of Man comes. This is the the uncomfortable and frightening thing about Advent. You and I are meant to look at the darkness of this world and to look forward in expectation that God will set things right. But we are caught on the horns of a dilemma that says there are things that are not right with us. And this is where the whole message of the prophets must be heard. Because the truth is that judgment is coming. And we should want it to come. And we do want it to come. Because we are so, so tired of what we see. And we should recognize in this season that our brothers and our sisters, maybe your life is going great. Maybe you're married and you, you have your 1.5 kids and you have all the accoutrement of of. The holiday season, and you feel that candy-coated glow, but to your left and to your right in our own family are people who are desperately lonely, who are barely able to contain their rage, their anxiety, their despair. There are people who are caught in the gears of the systems and the powers of this world, who are not able to think about how much they look forward to giving a gift, but instead are not sure that they'll be able to pay their bills as the temperatures go down and their bills go up. You should take heed of these words and consider your brother and your sister. But Jeremiah says something about this day as well that the day of the Lord will come and God will fulfill His promises to Israel. And when the judge comes, He will come as a righteous king. Because what God has promised to Israel, and in Jesus is not just that the judge will come, but it is that the judge will be the king, a just and righteous king who will judge rightly who you can trust, who won't let anybody off because of the reputation or the the finances that they can put into their defense or the circumstances that they have shrouded themselves in, the darkness that they had had hid under. This is a king who is just, who is righteous. He will judge. And he will reign forever. And what that passage tells us in Jeremiah is that king will then also make us his people. Jeremiah says the hope of the coming of that judge is not that you and I will find ourselves virtuous enough to escape judgment, that is not possible. There is no one who can escape the all seeing eye of the great and righteous judge and king of heaven and earth. You cannot escape that. What you have to have is something given to you. What you have to have is adoption. Jeremiah concludes that little passage with these key words. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it is called, the Lord is our righteousness. The Lord is our righteousness. It is tempting to to come to seasons of, of reflection and confession and repentance and to believe if I might work hard enough, I will be good enough before the judge. And the promise to you and to me is that is never going to be the case. But the judge instead will give you a new name. That God Himself will be your righteousness. The God Himself will make you and transform you and give you the place, a status, a name that you could not win for yourself. The Lord is your righteousness. See, the judge is not just the judge, he is also the judgment. This is the strange thing that Israel could not quite wrap its hands around, that it was not prepared to see in Jesus, that was so unsettling about Jesus and they were not prepared for. The judge is both the judge and the judgment. When Jesus goes as the Son of David and dies on a cross and on the third day walks out of the tomb, the church will look back onto that event and say, the day of the Lord, it's not at hand. It came. The day of the Lord came. When Peter stands up in Acts 2 and he preaches a, a, the first Christian sermon, the message he's giving is he's pulling out of the minor prophets, he's pulling out of Joel, and he's saying, God has done it. He has sent the judgment that he said he would send. And he poured it on himself. So this great and dark and terrible day of the Lord has fallen upon Jesus so that all of those who come and trust in Jesus will cling to him need not be afraid. That you can live in the time that is between the times when you can live in this kind of Advent season when everything seems to be falling down and panic is rising and the world is on fire and you can huddle underneath the wing of God himself. And know that judgment is not falling on you. It has fallen on another, that you might be pulled close to the Lord who is your righteousness. But He actually is indeed the trustworthy and good and surprisingly kind judge of the whole world. So we do stop. We take a fearless inventory of the darkness. And we pray for Jesus to come. We confess in our creeds that we are a a people who look forward not to Jesus' just spiritual presence among us by His Holy Spirit, but we look forward to the day when His feet, His physical, actual feet touch the ground again and He makes everything right. We believe that though it feels so agonizingly long and slow, we believe that He is coming again. The King will come in judgment. That we live our lives not for the moment, for our own self-satisfaction, for our own pleasure, but we stop and we pick up our heads and we straighten up and we look forward, we look to the horizon seeing that our hope is at hand. People of God, be hungry this Advent season. Do not find things to distract you from the darkness, but instead take inventory of it, list it, lament it, and plead for God to come and set it right. List it. Inventory it. Do not overlook it. Do not step aside because it makes you uncomfortable. Do not drive past it. Do not distract yourself past it. Look into the darkness that is outside of you and do not hold back from looking into the darkness of yourself. The things, the sin that you keep giving yourself over to Put it on paper. And then know that a bullseye has been drawn around it. And the king who is both judge and judgment will finish what he did at the cross. And he will judge those things. And he will make all things right so that there might be no more tears in your eyes or mine. That all of creation will sing with fully redeemed voice, exalting the arrival of the Lord who is our righteousness. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we, we confess to you that we have been overly fascinated and fixated on the present, that we have overlooked. Our own weaknesses, our own sins, our own tendencies. That we have domesticated you, sterilized you. We have taken anesthesia into our own faith. We have tried to, to make a Jesus stripped of any teeth, any claws. Because we, quite honestly, God, have been afraid. We've been afraid of of what we see in ourselves. We've been afraid of what we might see in you. And Father, I pray that we would not ignore this season, that we would look squarely at the things that make us uncomfortable, that make us afraid. But that our vision of you would be corrected. That we would delight in the fact that you are both judge and judgment for us. That you are our righteousness. That we are a people in process who will be completed by your own hand. Father, we ask that you would help us to look out at the world. And to not look past it. That we would see the natural order, the the systems of our culture, the powers and principalities whose evidences are everywhere. The sin that we drive by. The sin that we participate in. We pray, God, that for the next 23 days, we would mourn those things and plead for you to come quickly. That we would stand with the church for all of time, asking, Lord, come quickly. We ask that our hearts would be stirred and that our bellies would be aching for the feast that comes with you. Lord, come quickly. And we pray that in the meantime, in this time between that time and the one to come, in this Advent time, we pray, God, that we would be honest in repentance and confession, That we would be gentle and patient with our brother and sister. And that we would be a representation of your good government in the world. As this time passes, God, as we stare into the darkness, we pray that our own grasp of the light, that the light's grasp on us, would grow. That our vision would be better and clearer. And that we would become people who ache for you and people who delight in you. For you are the Lord, our righteousness, our ever-present hope. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.